I'm Hannah Pierce and I'm a nutrition business development manager at Zalta and I'm delighted to be joined by Andrea Redburn who is the behavioural science lead at Walnut Unlimited and Abigail Ryan who is part of the sustainability team at Christo. So in this podcast we will be discussing what role brands can play to drive consumer behaviour to decrease consumer reliance on plastic. So whilst consumers are more knowledgeable than ever on the global environmental crisis, is it really enough to impact consumer choice? Or are there more important drivers we can learn from behavioural science when it comes to consumers making that all-important purchase decision? So before we dive into the conversation, um, it'd be great just to do a few introductions about who we all are and um, how we uh, come to our current roles. Um, so to kick off, I joined Zalfler at the start of the year. Um, prior to this, I worked in technical and nutrition roles and um, for various retailers and manufacturers, and also a socially impact organisation delivering research and best practice working across the food industry. And that's actually where I've worked with Andrea before, where we were looking at behaviour change interventions to make it easier for people to transition towards healthier or sustainable diets. Zalpa has developed high-performance natural materials that can replace single-use plastic. Added, our plastic-free materials are strong and fully biodegradable and can be used in various applications which will include flexible fills, uh, which we'll be discussing a little bit more later today. Um, and my role is really to work with brands to identify opportunities where our materials can replace plastic, um, but also identify other novel applications beyond plastic replacement. And one of those excitable brands that I have the pleasure of working with is Gusto. So, Abigail, would you like to tell us a little bit about your role? My name is Abigail. I'm a sustainability manager at Gusto. Uh, my path of likely here is quite a non-traditional one. Uh, I started off as a data analyst in advertising, and then I quit my job, went traveling, moved to London, and became a chef. So now I'm really swapping these two passions together, food and data, working at Gusto and sustainability. For those who don't know, Gusto is a recipe delivery box company that was founded in 2012. Gusto was intended to cut back on household food waste, which is a serious problem. In the UK alone, 70% of our food waste comes from the home, and it accounts for about 10% of all of our greenhouse gases. So Gusto aims to solve that problem by sending out pre-portioned ingredients to customers and creating it more direct with customers as well. It sounds like a fantastic role. And Andrea, what a fantastic job. Tell us all about your behavioural scientist role. My background is in psychology and economics, followed by a postgraduate degree in science, although I feel that none of that sounds as exciting as I feel the hip path. Uh, but my focus is really on bringing the science uh, to more commercial settings. And I found my perfect home to do that at Walnut, which is a full service agency blending research methodologies in neuroscience, the area science, and data science to deliver a real human understanding and actionable inside. And in my role at Walnut, I did the behavior science team and basically work across teams and sectors to apply behavior science lens to our research programs, but also offer direct consultancy to our clients on how to better understand, but also how to match consumer behavior. And sustainability is really a topic that is very close to my heart. And I mentioned some of our previous work already, but I've worked with a number of uh, brands and organizations looking at everything from the product innovation to choice architecture, all the way to how to actually also best communicate some of those different solutions. 
brilliant. Well, I feel like we've got the right people to tackle this conversation. And I mentioned in the uh, title about the environmental crisis, so it might be helpful just to uh, set the scene a little bit around the plastic crisis. Um, so for, for our listeners, around plastic, uh, the past 50 years, plastic production has increased massively from about 15 million tonnes per year to over 300, and that's expected to triple by 2050. And as I'm sure we all know, we rely on plastic for almost all areas of our lives, um, due to its unrivaled functionality and the fact it's so cheap. And if we're thinking about this from a foodies packaging perspective, you know, the reason it's such a popular material to use, that it's lightweight to ship, it protects products, it increases the shelf life, um, it allows customers to see the product because it can be clear as well, which I know a lot of brands like to use, and it's cheap and it's very durable. And in fact, that obviously is the issue. So we know that although plastics can break down further into smaller microparticles, these can then lead to microplastics, which can then leak into our waters, into our soil, into the air and even our bodies. So this huge increase in plastic use really does come at huge cost to the environment. Some of the most polluting plastics can't be recycled and are released into the environment. So things like microplastics used in personal and home care products can be washed into the waters every day. But also sachets. So it's estimated that 2.3 billion sachets are used every day across the globe. And at the moment, these can't really economically be recycled. So darkest materials can provide plastic re- replacements to these. Um, we know that lots of consumers would like to see more plastic-free packaging, but we also know that consumers don't really want to compromise on the convenience, the safety, or the quality of their product, and they probably also don't want to pay more for it. So can they really have their wrapper and eat it? Abigail, what do you think? Uh, keeping an access of keeping our ingredients fresh and to our high standard, um, from a carbon footprint perspective, these numbers do balance out. Eliminating food waste is worth more carbon than the cost of creating the packaging. But it's not just about the carbon, it's also about the, the plastic pollution. So the NREL is really reducing the amount of plastic in our packaging. Uh, so we're on a mission for that. We're part of the UK Plastics Pact, which is a big goal to set all of our plastic to be recyclable, compostable, um, or reusable by 2025. Um, and one of the ways we're doing that is by making our plastic as recyclable as possible. We've moved over to 70% of our, 72% of our packaging being recyclable. Huge progress on the 33% when we started. And we're really optimistic about hitting that 100% goal. So there are a few different ways. Um, part of our packaging roadmap is also about looking at more innovative solutions to packaging. Not just about making it recyclable, but the other elements, reusable, circular, removing it all together or something completely different, which is where Zalta comes in. I'm actually really keen to hear Andrew's thoughts on this as well, because we're always looking for more and better ways to bring consumers in along our journey. Absolutely. And it's so fascinating to to see that the thirty years and some of the things that you are looking at putting in place. And what we have seen from a consumer perspective uh, is that over the last uh, decade, the public concern about the environmental continued to rise. And in all this research, we found that 70% of respondents report sustainability issues to be a concern. And now looking at the context of um, the cost of living crisis, half of respondents said that they're even more concerned about sustainability. 
However, going back to what you were saying right up front, we have to see that this is actually not enough. Considering it's not enough, there's not enough action taken uh, so far, despite all of this concern. And that is uh, because of something that we know from, from behavior science uh, and sustainability being one of the key areas where we see this intention behavior gap being most prevalent. Many people may state a high preference to make better choices, more sustainable choices, but their actual behavior doesn't reflect this. And there is a number of barriers ranging from cost, time, effort, convenience, habit, you name it. All of these come into play in making it more difficult for consumers to make the, the sustainable choices, but even more so to maintain uh, those sustainable behaviors over longer periods of time. And if not, we also make use of neuroscience tools. So things like reaction time testing, which basically allows us to not only measure what people explicitly say when asked questions, but also um, measure the emotional condition behind their answers. And using this tool, we saw that consumers seek brands that can help them on their quest to becoming more sustainable and definitely more simple solutions. Well, what is even more interesting is that when we also take into account the current economical and political context, our research shows that uh, there was a rise in general worry and stress. So worry going up 6% in December 2020, uh, interest up 7% compared to uh, December 2021. And again, we know from behavior science that people follow the path of least resistance or prefer options that require no cognitive or behavior or effort. And even more so in times of uncertainty, attempting to uh, process all this type of information demands so much energy and, and so much cognitive effort. So we're relying even more so on um, behavior shortcuts to basically save crucial time and brain power. Or other words, in other words, very simply put, when stressed, we're even more inclined to go for the simplest option. That's really helpful. Brilliant summary site you. So they do want more sustainable options, but it needs to be super easy. That which I guess is probably a good time to bring in the uh, the gusto and, and Zalfa case study. Do you want to explain that what about what we did, Abigail? Uh, brands are definitely keen to make it as easy as possible for customers, but we also face a huge challenge internally to make those changes. So because we at Gusto work with food, there are a lot of requirements. We have to look at food safety and shelf life and consider shipping and transit as well as all of our operational needs. Our packaging is super important to protect the ingredients. So when we started working with Zonblood to develop the first edible Sonicube wrapper, we had a lot to overcome. And it was a very exciting uh, project to be, to be part of. And so not only a great opportunity to remove the, the current plastic wrapper that's not currently recyclable, not just produce something that's either combustible or, or recyclable, but to go one step further and produce something that can be eaten. Um, so no need to dispose of it at all. So just to explain the, the concept, um, we have got a soluble actual fill. Um, so the stock cubes were wrapped in this. So the whole lot can just be popped in a jar in the same way that you make your normal stock, pour on hot water, pour it, um, and then the whole lot dissolves um, if just be added to the recipe um, as it would normally. Um, so as Abigail said, um, obviously great, great, great project, but there was quite a lot to, to think about and obviously lots of things to make sure we delivered a good day so they weren't compromising on the um, on the product. 
So we needed to make sure that the stock cube was still protected in trousers it and storage. So we did lots of tests to check this. The bill had to provide an oxygen barrier as well, it had to be sealable. And of course it needed to be food grade and vegan, gluten free and natural. Um, and obviously as this functionality um, is so important, it needed to be soluble in the water. And um, making sure that the stop cube was really compatible with our bill was key because uh, for example, if it had been too moist, it would have started dissolving in transit or in the uh, recipe boxes, which would not be ideal. So we worked closely with Gusto to make sure that the formulation worked really well with our film. First step, even when it's just working with our recipe developers to find the perfect recipe that dissolved easily and kept the integrity of the recipe the same. Um, and then after all of those trials, um, we put a special version of our Indian spice carrot and lentil soup recipe on the menu to create kind of an opt-in files to be able to learn. And then uh, people receive their edible stock cubes in their sample packaging um, with the least list that had the simple instructions to pop the entire thing in and watch the stall as they cook. There were all those hurdles to overcome. Uh, sample was great and work with them, but then we also had our own transit trials and good technical um, work as well. So it was a lot for such cool partnership to get on the menu. Yeah, the, the it was really interesting because obviously, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going in every single recipe boxes, but customers could choose to select this exciting new endable packaging. But it sold out really quickly, I think, didn't it? Yeah, ours. Oh, it's amazing. So I think it's quite a lot of excitement for this. And then we got some feedback from our from our customers as well, from the Gusto customers. And it's, most of them gave four or five stars, which is really encouraging, and a, and a thumbs up. And, and 80% importantly felt really comfortable using it. And um, so I think that's that's really promising that a lot of consumers are up for trying this quite innovative new cover set. Yeah, I think the really telling run also is that 100% said that Gusto should keep working on it and keep looking for more um, applications for this kind of packaging. Uh, so really great feedback from the customers there. Absolutely. And I think the big size is the um, see what, what we can do, what can do next. So, um, Andrea, are there, are there other examples similar to this where, you know, we've made it easier, uh, companies have made it easier for um, consumers to make changes and, and best choices? Absolutely. And I so love the, the partnership team with things online in terms of how to make it the, the easiest uh, and, and just uh, having uh, those chips already ready to use. And I'll give you just two more uh, examples of my favorite ones coming from very different angles as well. So... The first point is uh, around the idea of providing clear feedback loops on what the impact of cer certain options would have. And something as simple as what WWE needs use in the restaurant, showing how many liters of water each of the two toilet flushing buttons use, and uh, help us realize how much water we could save in one day. And if we couple this with the feel good factor of doing the right thing with the message on the line, so thank you for helping us save water and make it even more effective. But the second one uh, it is also around placement, because we've already discussed these and a lot of the I think it's really important to also consider placement and how we can make sustainable options more central. Um, to the shopper journey uh, and how that can have a huge impact in driving trial and uh, choice of more sustainable products. 
and almost suddenly it's on its head, we can also think of how to make it harder to access the unsustainable options and put the right barriers in place. And one example of this is uh, something that Zero Waste Scotland ran, and a really interesting experiment. So instead of getting discounts for coffee, if they thought we bring a reusable cup, something that quite a few uh, different coffee chains currently do, they said, no worries, if you don't have a reusable cup, we can give you a disposable one, but you will have to pay a bit more. And this has worked actually like the 50% increase in re reusable cups being so wow. So we're both sticks and carrots and that's a, isn't that scenario? Absolutely. Uh, and I think, yeah, charging people for that extra fee for the disposable drink uh, instead of offering them the discounts, definitely the stick there. Uh, is definitely more effective in changing uh, their behavior. And I think Abigail, you spoken uh, an anecdotal example on these lines as well, and you? Back when my old company, there was lunch provided every day. And at the end of the line, there were a bunch of containers and they had both plastic and reusable utensils. Uh, and I always kind of chose the reusable one. Well, then I'd sit down to lunch with my friends and some of them had chosen plastic. And I just conversationally asked them why they had selected a plastic utensil. And most of them said, I, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of grabbed something. And so we're not saying that you need to completely get rid of the plastic utensils, but if we made them slightly more inconvenient to reach, so you had to make it an intentional choice, say, okay, I'm actually taking this lunch away. I'm not going to be able to return the utensils, so I need plastic ones now. Um, it would actually lead to more people just using the reusable ones and not having the plastic ones as readily available. So it's just a simple, something as simple as, making something a bit less convenient, like say with the charge for the cup or even with the charge we see for our plastic bags these days, make a huge impact. So, so simple. I think there's lots of examples in the nutritional world as well. And you're just thinking even about salt, when you move salt shakers off the table and move the right to the back of the restaurant or the cafeteria. Amazing how many people do not want to do that or to go and get their, their shaker and add the salt to their, to their meal. Yeah, brilliant to have all these different um, different examples. Think also to build on that because we've seen time and time again that we can we can create that the right choice architecture. But most successful solutions are not only sustainable but also provide a key benefit to consumers. So really, a, a reason why they should use it. And I think again from the nutritional world, we have a few examples. China. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing about it. So I think. If you are wanting to introduce a new format or a novel concept, I think it, it's what is it going to deliver for the consumer beyond um, making the environmental benefits. So I guess thinking about the stock cube example, um, it didn't make anything harder for the consumer to if anything. Um, it was quicker. Um, they weren't having to fiddle about with packaging. They weren't having to dispose of any packaging. It's potentially less messy. So lots of benefits for the consumer to introduce that. So I guess it's really helpful to think about well, maybe what challenge could you overcome? What problem could you solve um, for, for your consumers, for your customers, when you introduce it um, and do concepts and try to get them on board with something new and maybe up familiar. So I think the, the only other thing to mention is that, of course, to, to draw an alter behavior change, 
is not more complex. And I think brand needs to also really be aware of the fact that in order to encourage consumers to be more sustainable, they need to recognize that everyone will be at the same point on their journey to engage with sustainability. As such, we really need to understand where they are on that journey and not treat everyone equally. Uh, and there will be different leaders for different groups of consumers and brands need to ensure uh, an inclusive journey catering for all those types of consumers and their buying needs. And of course, there will be a million things that we could discuss here, but in short, we really need to help those who are looking to become more sustainable, but don't really know how, by giving them more information, deep hack and helping them cut through some of the current confusion. We can support those who are already adopting some of these solutions by provi providing loads of green opportunities, as this is the group that was really that on to, on to them. And we need to not forget the deniers, or those who are not quite engaged yet, but provide them a positive approach, connecting with their values, uh, and also, uh, ideally, if we can, create some new defaults so that it becomes easier and the defaults to actually go to those sustainable solutions. Is that what you're aiming to the next, Abigail? So with Gusto, you know, you pick your menu, you pick your recipes as a whole, you don't really get the choice between different brands and you can't look at the packaging and decide which one you want. So it's really kind of on us to make the, the whole offering as uh, sustainable as possible. I think companies are, and as I can speak for Gusto, we're really looking at it in so many different ways. You know, can we make recyclable? Can we make less of it? Can we use recycled content and other, other innovative solutions? We're really kind of exploring down all of these different avenues. Um, food safety actually kind of requires an element of virgin plastic, so there isn't a huge market for us there. Um, but we are looking into, you know, that's exactly why we, we kicked off this partnership with Zamba to try to push the boundaries a lot more. And I, I completely agree, Andrea, learning and awareness is just like such a big piece of, piece of it. I remember when I first went to London, I saw an ad for washing up liquid with a bottle that was made from hundred percent post consumer recycled plastics. And I got to say, I've been using that brand ever since. And now that I know so much more about plastic packaging, I know just actually how hard it is to create something like that. Okay, excel for the brand loyalty right there. <laughs> and that really resonates with um, what we have seen in our research as well. So not only uh, does African work sustainably support the public's desire to tackle sustainability, but in Walnut's research, um, when we have seen that if a brand is working towards becoming a sustainable business, it actually also attracts one with your attention, exactly as you were saying, Abigail, perfect uh, example right there. And we have seen that from December 2021 to December 2022, there was nearly a 10% increase in the number of people reporting um, on uh, I notice which brands are actively sticking to help the environment. So that is definitely something that is on the rise. And even anecdotally speaking, if we look at veganism within uh, the fast food uh, industry, Burger King and McDonald's may not be at the forefront of sustainable eating, but their inclusion and advertising of something like the McClown Burger drives awareness and drove consideration across the business. So this is definitely a very big for brands to offer sustainable solutions. Um, and if uh, these solutions align with the consumer's values and their beliefs, it will definitely uh, drive a lot of engagement and we're talking as well about. <laughs>
Yeah, no, that that's really important. I think it's just well, just important to touch on as well that by creating these innovative uh, products formats, we don't want any unintended consequences or or accidentally alienating some consumer groups. So just using the SOPP again as an example, you know, we wouldn't want to be introducing things that were adamant derived or potentially introducing new allergens um, and making sure they were aligning to what those consumers want um, and not not compromising um, on the products for consumers. So I think we've had a fantastic conversation today. So really great food for thought about how we could potentially drive behavioural change and bring consumers on this journey with us. We've probably got time for a quick takeaway from, from each of you. So Abigail, what would you like to highlight to your listeners? Sure, so I come with my very analytical perspective. Uh, for around the center percent is always going to be data. Start tracking, start measuring, and use, it, use that information to find the key areas. And then you'll also have these pretty embers that you can use to demonstrate your progress. For consumers, just stopping and taking a second to think about your choices and make them really intentional, but also don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, know what is perfect, and for both brands and consumers, just don't make perfection the enemy of progress. That's brilliant. Thank you. Andrea, what's your takeaway, thoughts? Really, when it comes to the brands and the organization that might be listening to, to us now, it's um, really important to think of different solutions and different ops on the NFC sense when you know that a blanket approach doesn't work. So really key to fully understand these audiences and test those potential so- solutions that resonate with each one of those different audiences. But also a uh, very important flag uh, that consumers don't believe in individual action. There's this trophy in the ocean effect, as behavior scientists like to call it, or this perception that individual action can help significant impact and hence actually not, not taking any action at all. So this is also my, my final um, point and my uh, key call to arms to all of us as we all need to work together to not only help consumers become more sustainable, but also make decisions together. So I think in conclusion, I hope you've been quite um, an interesting uh, case study to, to discuss this around. And you know, actually, this was a very novel concept that we've demonstrated here, but actually consumers are not only open to it, but actually quite excited by the prospects of uh, eating their own packaging. So hopefully that will inspire more businesses and brands to be disruptive and some more uh, consumers to be intrepid and engaged with this agenda. So I would say, don't be afraid to rock the boat. So I think in conclusion, I think all consumers can have their packaging at ESIT and hopefully it will be more than just soft in the future. But thanks to all for listening today.